All right, John chapter 10, verse number 19. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings, and many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem. So obviously you see this that's going on in the minds of the Jewish people here. Jesus is doing these amazing works. And the Jews are in, they're divided. They can't decide. They can't understand who he is. So we move on from there. John 10, 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, that was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple of Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now look what he's about to do right now. He's about to tell them once again who he is. They said, tell us plainly. They can't get much plainer than this. I and my Father are one. What happens? Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, how many good works have I, have I uh, uh, showed you from my Father? For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods, if ye called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me, not me, Believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John was at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true." And many believed on him there. And so I, I bring that passage to your attention because Jesus emphasized the importance of the works that he did in an effort to identify who he was. He does these miraculous things. And if you see the miracles he's doing, I say, okay, so you don't believe my words. Look at these miraculous things that I am doing because the Father is working through me. These in and of themselves ought to be helping you to identify who I am. If you don't believe me, believe the works that I'm doing because these particular works are testifying of who I am. So I'm going to just take that passage right there, and I want to use that as a springboard, and then we will uh, launch into the last uh, several things or characteristic, uh, I guess, miracle, uh, natures of the miracles that he was doing. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this, uh, this, this very concept of being able to know you by the works that you have done. We see the works of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We see the nature of these works. Not only they tell us that he is who he said he is, but they also tell us that he can do the most miraculous things. Not just back then in history gone by, but even today in our life. He's able to do these things to aid us in our Christian experience. So Lord, help us, I pray. We need to know who you are, not only by the words you say, but by the deeds you've done. All these things testify to our hearts 
of the very nature of God and the very desire that you have to work in and through us. So, Lord, help us tonight, we pray, and we thank you in Jesus' name for what you'll do. Amen. And so, again, the Jews being divided, you know, can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Verse 24 reveals this. How long does thou make us to doubt? Now you have to understand, Jesus knew if he plainly told them that he was the Messiah, the scribes and the Pharisees would instantly accuse him of blasphemy and stone him. And we see that revealed in this particular passage right here. Okay, And so uh, he tells them once again who he is. What do they do? First thing that they do, see here this thing is, is Jesus just thinks often in the New Testament, why didn't Jesus just come out and speak more plainly? Why did he use parables? Why did he kind of seem like he, he was uh, 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 taking his words and making them a little bit um, uh, ununderstandable to the, to the regular person? He was doing this because he knew that most people were not looking at, to find out who he was. They were looking to find out what he said that they might accuse him and then obviously do just exactly that they were fixing to do right here, stone him. And so yet, here's the deal. God had a time sequence. He had a time frame in which Jesus Christ was going to walk on earth and do the things that he did. And he also had a time when Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross and fulfill the will of the Father, Okay. So all of this came and it was metered. So that's why sometimes you see Jesus not revealing everything about himself because he knew that people could not handle what he was about to say. They knew, he knew that if he was to say more than needed to be said, they would miss what he was saying and they would take him and they would crucify him prematurely, you see. And so even here, this is a perfect example of that very principle right here. So that's why you see Jesus sometimes speaking in ways that you, why didn't he just come out and say something like this? This is one of the reasons why, because if he made it this plain, the first thing they want to do is kill him. And the more that he revealed about himself, the more they were um, determined to kill him because he was a threat to their religious society. And so this is what you see throughout the New Testament. So um, what do the Jews uh, want to do with his revelation? They want to take him up and they want to stone him. We see this in verse number 31. But Jesus gives, him, gives a, another synopsis of this in verses 37 and 38. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that I may, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And this is a vital thing that we need to know that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus in him. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, 7, verse number 20, he said, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And this is a very important principle. I think Proverbs said, I mean Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 11, even a child is known by his doings. You see? And so uh, we need to get in the habit of, of evaluating people, you know, looking at the people and what they say and seeing their life and how their life matches up with their words. That's an important thing here. So, if we're really interested in knowing Christ, we want to take a look at his mighty works because these are, these are revealing some things about him. And this is why we are doing this. Again, in the New Testament, how many miracles that we have recorded? How many? All right, 37 actually recorded. All right, again, some people say 40 if you include the, the virgin birth of Christ and if you include the you know, sinless life of Christ and if you include his resurrection, some say 40. But in, in essence, that's what we have revealed to us here in the New Testament about Jesus Christ's mighty works. All right, and so again, we've taken these and we've kind of taken them and classified them into seven different categories. We talked about three of them this morning, and uh, one of the things we talked about is the power to transform, Jesus' power to transform. So let me get to here, and so, uh, so the first one was his power to transform. We saw Jesus take ordinary water and he turned it into wine. He was able to take something and turn it into something else. And God can do this. God can take something and turn it into something else. And he can also take someone and turn them into a different person because of the power of God in them. And this is so vital for us to know about God. And if somebody says that they are of God, 
and they've been transformed, their life needs to be different. You know what's really sad today is people are just trying to add Jesus without the transformation. In other words, they want to come to Jesus and stay themselves. Now that just is not Christianity. I want to tell you, because if you come to Christ, Christ wants to change you, and He wants to make you more like Himself, you see. If you come to Christ and you're the same 10 years from now as you were 10 years ago, I really am questioning what took place at what you call your salvation experience. Jesus came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And if your life is no more abundant today than it was when you first got saved, I'm saying to you, are you sure you got Jesus, okay? Because he came to give you his life. He didn't come to give you the life you want. He came to give you the life you need, amen? The life of Christ in you. And so it's so important to realize this wonderful characteristic of the work of God in the life of a person, and that is he transforms people, amen? He not only transforms things and has this ability to transform things from one thing into another, but he has the ability to transform people from the old person that they were to the new person that they ought to be. The Apostle Paul, wonderful example of this very principle, all right? Then... Uh, let me see, we'll just move on here. All right, we talked about here this transformation. And then secondly, he has the power over the elements of nature. Okay, Jesus Christ gets out there. <laughs> the storm is brewing, right? And Jesus simply speaks the word. And the winds cease and the waves flatten out and there's a peace and there's a calm. Now folks, it's a wonderful thing to know that your God has that kind of power over the elements of nature. God can do Exceeding, I mean, listen, listen, the, the, God can do amazing things. He just can. He can make the birds come. Remember Elijah? He's out there, and he's out there in the wilderness, and uh, Ahab's after him, and Elijah's out there hiding from Ahab. Who does God send to feed Elijah? A raven, a bird. A ravenous bird. They are not the cleanest bird. They are the birds that kind of eat the junk and stuff like that. That's the bird that God sent to feed Elijah in the wilderness. I remember we were in California. We went out there and we weren't paid a whole lot, okay? So half of our pay was our rent. And so that's basically, that was just the hat. That was where it started. And so we didn't have a lot of money, but we had God, amen? And so what happened, I told you about the last breakfast that we had. It wasn't the last breakfast, obviously, you see, we had more than that. But uh, we had what we called the last breakfast, and we ate the last thing in the refrigerator, and we just said, okay, God, this is it. And as soon as we got through eating, who comes by but Clyde Mayfield? Clyde Mayfield, he called me Bob. I don't know how you spell that, B-A-U-B. But anyway, he says, hey, Bob, you need any money? You need not money, but do you need any food? I said, well, Clyde, you know, just as a matter of fact, we could use a few things right here, right now. And uh, he says, well, come on out here with me. Go out to his trunk. He opens his trunk. There's orange juice, and there's, there's milk, and there's eggs, and there's cheese, and there's bread. And his trunk is just full, and we're just taking it and throwing it in the freezer and throwing it in the refrigerator. You know what? He was a raven, amen? A raven called Clyde Mayfield came by and helped us at those times. I want to tell you something. God knows how to, to take and give you what you need, amen? And so we have to understand that God's able to do stuff like this. He did it in the Old Testament. He took, he has power over the elements. He has power over the creatures. He knows how to direct them. He can still the storm. He can send the raven. He can stop the lion from eating you. I mean, he can do all kinds of stuff. This is the power of God. He has the power over his creation. All right. Then number three. All right. We talked about the power to heal the blind, the deaf, the sick, the injured, the infirm. Now, we only gave you one illustration. We talked about the blind man. Right. And yet God is able to do all kinds of things, not just the blind, but all kinds of things here. I got 21, 21 different healings, if you would, okay? There was Jesus healing the official son at Capernaum. Then there was Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law who was sick of the fever. And then Jesus had uh, many who were sick and oppressed in the evening, and, and they brought them to him. He healed every single one of them. Then we see that Jesus cleansed the man with the leprosy. He heals the centurion's paralyzed servant at Capernaum. He healed the paralytic who was uh, let down into, from the roof. He heals the man with the withered hand at the Sabbath. He uh, heals the woman in the crowd with the issue of blood. And then he 
heals the two blind men. He heals the man who was unable to speak. He heals the invalid at Bethesda. He heals the many sick at Gennesaret when they, when they touched his garment. He, uh, he heals the deaf and the dumb man. He heals the blind man at Bethesda. He heals the man born blind by spitting in his eyes. We talked about that. He... Uh, he heals the blind mute demoniac. He heals the woman who had been crippled for 18 years. He heals the man with the dropsy on the Sabbath. He cleanses the 10 lepers on the way to Jerusalem. He restores sight to Bartimaeus in, uh, in Jer Jericho. And he heals the servant who severed off, who Peter took, you know, Malchus, who Peter took his ear off, and he, and he heals. All of these are illustrations, 21 different illustrations of different things that Jesus did to heal these people in the New Testament. I'm not talking about, I'm not even including the people right here in this particular illustration of those he raised from the dead. That's pretty good healing, wouldn't you say? When he went by and literally raised folks from the dead. We'll get there in a minute. But the idea is Jesus has this power. Amen? Amen? He has the power to heal. And I, I wonder sometimes if we run to the doctor before we run to Jesus. Now, we're very prone to run to the doctor. You say, Pastor, don't you believe in doctors? I believe in doctors. I believe they exist. I'm not necessarily confident in every single thing every single doctor says. I think you ought to check your resources. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'd go to God before I go to the doctor. I just think you should. I just think you should. You know, um, remember, um, was it uh, Asa? Remember, he didn't go to God. And as a result of that, uh, he sought the physicians before he sought God. And there was something that uh, he had negative consequences as a result of that. You know, we need to go to God first. God needs to be our first, resources, our first resource, not our last resort. And so often we treat God as our last resort, we treat prayer as our last resort, and we treat God as our last resort. We need to go to God first. You'd be surprised. I wonder how many people can be healed just because they just go to God and say, God, you know, I got this pain here. Or God, I got this thing that's hurting me. Or God, this thing. And just ask God to do what God can do. I think we go far too quickly to the doctor. No, no, don't get me wrong. I thank the Lord for doctors. I thank the Lord for the fact that God gives some people some experience that are able to help people with different things like that, all right? If you split your head open from here to here, I don't think you should sit there and ask for a prayer meeting, all right? Get to the doctor and get it sewed up, and then make can ask for healing so it doesn't look so bad when it gets done. But, but the idea is that I think we need to go to God first. We just ought to. And... Uh, uh, I think God wants to do some things in the believer's life that sometimes the believers don't allow them to. We go to doctors first, we go to lawyers first, we go to all kinds of people first, and sometimes we lose a lot of money, and, uh, and it doesn't help us any. And I've heard many testimonies to that effect, so I'm just saying to you, all right? I'm not being dogmatic, and doctors are no good. Please understand that. I'm just saying. We need to go to Jesus. We really do. He has this power, and so we need to realize this. All right, so we got there this morning, uh, the power to heal the blind, so we talked about that right there. All right, so um, now let's get to our next thing right here. Power to multiply and feed thousands. Now this is something else that Jesus Christ did. He has the power to multiply and feed thousands. So let me get you to a verse right here. We can start looking at that. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. All right, let's go there. Matthew chapter 14 and uh, verse number uh, 13 through 21. I'm going to read the verses here to you. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship. Are at the right place? Yeah. Departed thence by ship to a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came at him saying, this is a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals or victuals. And Jesus said unto him, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Now you can imagine, what? What? I can just imagine the, the disciples going, what did he say? What? You know, turn around to, you know, Peter turned around to John. Did, did you hear what I just said? Oh, what he just said? I mean, this obviously was the human response to a statement like this. Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. So can you, can you kind of sense a little bit of the nature that's taking place here in this statement right here? Uh, I just put myself in their place and I just sense to myself, okay, I can see how, why they're saying that. I would probably feel that way too. And then he said, bring them here to me. Okay, we got five loaves, two fishes. He says, bring them to me. 
To bring, give me the five loaves and two fishes. Give them, bring them to me. All right. Verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break, and gave the loaves to his disciples and disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets. What? Full. full. <laughs> twelve baskets full. How do you take twelve baskets, give them to 5,000 people besides women and children, and then have twelve baskets full left over? Tell me how you do that with five loaves and two fishes. You don't do that, but God can. Amen. And we're talking about the power of God, amen? So, so Jesus takes and he feeds these 5,000 people besides women and children with, this, uh, with these five loaves and two fishes. So do you know that the feeding of the 5,000 is, okay, of all the miracles that Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle included in all four Gospels. The only one. No other miracle that Jesus did is included in all four of the gospel records. Now, a number of miracles were included in three, okay? But this is the only single miracle that is included in all four gospels. That communicates to me that it was a very significant miracle. Now, I think today we don't see the total significance because we have abundance of food. You go to a grocery store and the, and the shelves are filled and, and, and we have such an abundance, you know what I mean, that food was never, probably in your lifetime, in many of your lifetime, food was never an issue for you. It was always very available to you. You never had a problem getting it. There was always lots of it. Some of you grew up on a farm and you're doing all kinds of sell it, you know, to other people and stuff like that. So you don't look at it the way these people looked at it. But they looked at it differently, okay? This was an amazing miracle to them. And part of it, I believe, is linked to the fact that they thought back of their Old Testament history, and they thought that there was one guy in the Old Testament that seemed to do the same thing. His name was what? Moses. And that's what they attributed this to, that Moses fed us in the wilderness. Well, Jesus corrected him. No, no, it wasn't Moses that fed you in the wilderness. It was my father who fed you in the wilderness. And you need to get this, this fact straight. It wasn't Moses. Moses didn't make the manna come down. Moses didn't make the quail to fly in. Moses didn't do that. My father did that. And he fed you in the wilderness, you see. And so I think they made a link between what Moses did in the wilderness and what Jesus is doing here with all these people and feeding these people and they're going, we've got somebody here that is an amazing person. He looks just like Moses. And Moses said that in the future, a prophet was going to be the come that would be like unto him. And so another clue, you see, that this could be somebody very significant. And so, uh, so the disciples were made about how many people were fed that day. Take five loaves, two fishes. They fed 5,000 people besides women and children. Okay? Besides women and children. I don't know if each man had a wife, and maybe not, okay, if each man had a wife there, all right, and they had children, I mean, just think how many people could possibly have been included in that particular feeding. All right, if it was a husband and a wife and two kids, that would be 20,000, okay? If it was a husband and a wife and, and one kid, it could have been, you know, uh, 15,000. In other words, there was more than 5,000 fed that day because it was besides women and children. We don't know how many, but we know this. Five loaves and two fishes into 5,000 is still quite an amazing feat and have 12 baskets left over. Why 12 baskets? Because it was 12 disciples handing out the food. And the 12 disciples took the baskets, came back to Jesus Christ. He multiplied it, went out, and it kept on going. And they came back with their baskets full after everybody was fed and everybody was satisfied. I'm telling you that because this is the miraculous power of God in this particular thing here. So every gospel writer includes this in his gospel account. Jesus tells us about the multitude that met him. Now, the next day, if you look at John chapter 6, again, this is included in all four of the gospel accounts. The John chapter 6 account is where Jesus Christ goes the next day, and the crowd, okay, so they go across the lake, all right, and on the other side of the lake, guess who meets them there? Oh, the crowd. What crowd? The ones who just got what? Exactly. And so they all go to the other side of the lake, and John chapter 6 gives us this particular account. And so here they are on the other side of the lake, and they're looking for Jesus, and they're wondering how he got there, because remember, he sent the disciples across the sea, and he went up there and prayed, and then he came to the disciples walking on the water and so like that. But he gets over there, and all the people say, how'd you get here? And Jesus says, you know, you're not so interested in how I got here. What you're looking for is you're looking for another meal. Now listen, 
Jesus doesn't want there, just wasn't there, just to give them food, all right? He's trying to teach us some things. But here's the deal. He explained to them in John chapter 6 that he is the bread of life come down from heaven. And then he taught them that they needed to partake of him so that they could have something that would sustain them, not just now but forever. But the way he told and taught them, it sounded like he was teaching them to eat him personally. And so consequently, they didn't understand that teaching, and many of them departed from him. And that's when Jesus said to his disciples, are you also going to depart? You see, because of the fact that the words were a little bit more than they could handle. But the idea is this, is that Jesus fed this amazing crowd in, in the wilderness. Now, here's something that I, I think we should, uh, we're so prone to think with a limited perspective. You notice that about yourself? We're so prone to think with a limited perspective. Now, part of what this, this, this miracle teaches me is how God's able to multiply what we have. We're so prone to think in a scarcity mentality. I only have so much money. I only have so much time. I only have so much food. I only have so many resources. And we tend to quantify what little we have, and try to evaluate what can be done based on what we ourselves have in our possession. I believe we need to think a little differently. I think we need to, little, we need to think in terms of God's unlimited resources rather than our limited resources. Listen, why did the disciples respond the way they did? Well, listen to Andrew in John chapter 6, verse 9. There's a lad here which hath five loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? That's our natural response to the situations we face. What is it that we have to help so many? Limited thinking, scarcity mentality. We only have so much time, so much money, so many people, so many resources. God's resources are unlimited. He fed everyone with 12 baskets left over. What is food to God? What is money to God? Now, I'm not telling you to be presumptuous, and I'm not telling you to be the, uh, a covetousness. I'm not telling you that at all. I know this name it, claim it crowd gets out there and says, you know, you just name it, claim it, and God will give it to you. I'm not talking about that. God's not trying to make you accumulate things, you know, upon your own lusts. But when God directs you to do something, God can provide you with whatever you need to get it done. Who, did, who told the disciples to tell the crowd to sit down? It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. Who was it? Jesus told them to tell the crowd to sit down. So Jesus is about to show them what he can do, and they are responding to his command. And when you go at the Lord's command he will provide for whatever it is you have to, 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 to do. You know, I know some people that refuse to go forward for God because oh, they refuse to have children because of the fact we can't afford it. Children are heritage of the Lord. If God gives you children, God can afford it. You say, well, how? Well, I only make so much money. No, you're just thinking in your limited mentality, in your limited perspective. You're thinking your scarcity mentality. I can only do so much with what I have. But listen, if you're doing something at the command of God, God can multiply. God can send things from different places that you never, ever thought about. God can give you what you never had. Listen, when we came here, we didn't have a salary. We had, we had two or three people that were sending us a few dollars. I think we had $235 a month that, was, that we had that was ours, okay? I had two kids at Bob Jones University with their college tuitions. I had uh, my family here that we lived here. We had to eat. I had, uh, you know, I didn't have any debt. I don't think I did. I don't, I don't think so. But, but, uh, but that's all we had, $235 a month. We never, never missed a meal. If we missed it, it was our own choice. We never were late on a bill. God took care of the needs. Our kids stayed in college. Our kids finished college. 
I remember Brian saying to me, he says, Dad, he says, I know you guys are trying to get the church started. He says, maybe I should stay home from college and help you here. I said, Brian, God directed you to go to college, so you go to college. God directed us to be here, so we're staying here. God will supply for you, and God will supply for us. And he did. George Miller talks about the orphans. He had a heart to, 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 to feed the orphans and to help the orphans over there in Bristol and England. And God provided the buildings. And then he, the people weren't there, so George Miller said, oh, I forgot to pray for the orphans. So then he prayed for the orphans. And God sent the orphans. And George Mueller ended up feeding and caring for 10,000 orphans in the course of his ministry. And he did it all by God's supply. And his testimony encouraged my heart. I said, if George Mueller can do it for 10,000 orphans, he can do it for a family of four or six. Amen? God can take care of your needs. It's not being presumptuous, but here's the thing. If you know what God wants you to do, you can be assured that he's able to provide for whatever it is he's led you to do. It's not you deciding what you want to do and then asking God to provide. It's you knowing what God wants you to do and then going forth with that knowledge, knowing that God is able to supply for you if he's directed you to whatever it is he's directed you to. Amen? Now, folks, I know that takes faith, but the truth of the matter is God wants faith to be such in his people. And, and see, it's stories like this that are supposed to bolster our faith so that we're willing to take steps when we don't necessarily know where all the resources are coming from. And I'm telling you something, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. You cannot give God. You just can't. And by the way, you can't do better on your 100% than you can on 90%. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. No, of course it doesn't. But if you're a child of faith, that's the only way you're going to live and see the hand of God at work. God gives when you take what is yours and you give it to him as he commands you to do it. He will supply your needs. He can make 90% go further than 100%. And that doesn't make any sense to most people because they try to figure it out logically with their limited resources and their scarcity mentality, and they try to figure it out logically. But listen, the Christian life is not a logical life. It's a life of faith. Right, it's believing God, that God can do what he said he's going to do. And the disciples, they tried to logic this feeding thing out, okay? Wait a second. Five loaves, two fishes, five. How are you going to do this among so many people? Tell them to sit down. Jesus is about to teach them a lesson. And he's teaching them a lesson, but he's teaching us a lesson too. Amen? If God wants you to do something, then God will provide for whatever it is he wants you to do. And so our concern, our chief concern is this. What does God want me to do? What is God calling me to do? What does God want me to do? And if you know what God wants you to do, then you step out. You go forward. And God will provide for you according to his riches in Christ Jesus, amen? His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so, God's resources are what? Unlimited. Unlimited. What's money to God? What's food to God? Listen, if he can feed Elijah in the wilderness with a raven, if he can feed a pastor out there in California from the dumpsters of California, <laughs> I'm a dumpster fed pastor, amen? I mean, I, I got here by, by somebody feeding me from a dumpster. Hey, listen, that's okay. It was good stuff. The expiration date was still, you know, I mean, so cheese. You said, but cheese had mold in it. You know how they make cheese? Yeah, that's how they do it, okay? And before they put it in a little wrapper, they cut the mold off, and then they, they sell it to you in the store, all right? So don't be so concerned if the cheese has mold in it. That's how you make cheese, all right? And so, you know, we get all concerned about expiration dates, but everybody trying to be safety conscious out there. And I, I respect that, but the truth of the matter is you'd be surprised we can live on. You know there's dandelions out there that have lots of nutrients, you know what I mean? So if you're really having a problem... Our neighbor over there has got a bunch of dandelions. I'm telling you something now. You can live a long time on the dandelions growing over my neighbor's yard. But, you know, listen, we, we, we really, we, we, uh, we think we have to have everything exactly like we want it. All right. Whenever we act on the Lord's command, we can count on the Lord's provision. 
Now, the first statement is the, is the precursor, okay? Whenever we act on the Lord's command. It's not whenever you act on your command, you know? It's not you saying, God, I want my will to be done, and you bless it. It's not God rubber stamping your will. It's whenever we act on the Lord's command, God will provide. His, his provision will be there. Give what you have to God and see how he can make it multiply. I'm telling you, folks, listen. <laughs> You need just to be a good giver. A lot of you are. You're wonderful givers. This church is amazing giving church. But, but you know, listen, don't cut off the resources. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure, this is what it says, that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So in other words, if you're stingy, you'll get stingy back. If you're generous, you get generous back. That's what God said in Luke 6, 38. That's Jesus' words. All right? So listen, keep giving. I'm not saying that because we need, because the truth of the matter is God's blessed. It's not our need right now. That's not it at all. But the truth of the matter is, is that you want to keep giving because the fact is that God keeps the supply coming as long as you keep it flowing. Amen? You keep it flowing. It's not the stick. It's to keep on going. We're a channel. We're not a reservoir. Amen? And so we want to make sure that we take the blessings of God and channel them the way he wants them to be blessed so that we can be used of God in that manner. God can multiply. It's amazing what God can do. And... Uh, I don't know how many of our ventures we've started when we didn't have the finishing resources. Probably most of them. <laughs> you know? How are we going to finish this? How are we going to finish this remodeling? I don't know. Let's start it. We know it needs to be started because it's a mess. It needs to be fixed. Something needs to be taken care of. And we started. Lo and behold, we finished it. We got more left at the end after we finished than we did before we started. How does that work? God. That's how it works. God can multiply. Amen. All right, well, we better get on. All right, next. The mighty works of Jesus. Another classification, I guess you can say, as we take this and put it in perspective, is this. Is the power to direct to unseen resources. The power to direct to unseen resources. Uh, and for that, I go to a passage in Luke chapter 5. So let's go there. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And the Lord has this wonderful um, uh, ability here. And so it says here, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Nesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Okay, well, they're washing nets. That means, as far as they were concerned, work's over right now. We've done our, we've done our work, and it didn't work, so we're washing our nets, cleaning them up. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him or asked him, that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down, this is talking about Jesus, and he taught the people out of the ship. Okay, so get the picture. All right, let me finish the, the, the chapter here. And now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Listen to Peter. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. And I've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let the net down. Or down the net. Do you, do you sense? Do you, do you sense? Okay, if that was you, how would you have said that? Master, we told all night. No, that's not what it would have been me. I would have been a little bit derogatory in that statement. I would have been a little bit questioning in, my, in the way I said that. Lord, you know, I, I, I love your teaching. I mean, it's great, but, you know, we've worked all night. We have literally fished all night long, and we haven't caught a thing. We've just got through washing the nets, and that's not fun. But nevertheless, at thy will, we'll let, we'll let the nets down. Can you sense? Can you sense yourself in this scenario? Would you have been any more spiritual? Okay. Would you have been doubtful? Come on now. How many of you said, uh-huh, I've been doubtful? How many? All right. How many of you said, I'm not voting? All right. All right. So, so yeah, I would have been him. I would have been the Peter. I would have said the same thing, probably. And when they had done this, had this done, they, I'm sorry, let's go on here. Now, let's let the word, I left that. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship with the washed nets, remember? And they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. 
And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was deeply convicted because he doubted Jesus. Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, we're fishermen. You're a teacher, you know. We know how this fishing business goes. Okay, we'll do it anyway. And then when he saw what took place, he was deeply convicted. And he gets down and he humbles himself, falls on his face. God, depart me. I am a sinful man. He realized right quick how sinful his response was. He doubted Jesus Christ. He didn't trust him. He doubted him. He did what he said, but he doubted him. He really didn't believe that what was going to happen happened. For he was astonished, it says. And all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which he had taken, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for thenceforth thou shalt catch men. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And so we have this scenario right here. Um, yep, wrong one. Come back. We're on number. Was that right? No, well, yeah, okay. I did that one too. Now, that, that's one illustration. Did, did, did Peter know where the fish were? No, he fished all night. How much did he come up with? No, no. There was another incident that takes place here where Peter was bringing to Jesus the attention, you know, about the taxes. Are we supposed to pay these taxes? And then Jesus said to him, yeah, we should pay them. We, we're, we're, we should pay the taxes. We don't want to offend the people there. So I'll tell you what, Peter, go and uh, go down to the river over there or go down to the sea and cast your, your hook out there. Interesting, he says hook. I'm not sure if there was supposed to be bait on the hook or not. But he says cast your hook out there. That's what he says. And he says, the first fish that you catch will have in its mouth a coin. Take that coin, and Peter, go pay the taxes for you and for me. Now, let me ask you a question. All right? If you needed money to pay your taxes, would you be looking for a fish with a gold <laughs> coin in its mouth? I mean, would you? Is that where you, now I think Raba would go fishing, okay? And maybe Roscoe would go fishing, all right? But uh, the truth of the matter is, I probably wouldn't be looking for money in the fish's mouth. Now my sister used to send her kids to the mall and they would go into all the little vending machines and they'd find quarters and stuff like that, you know, but you can only pay so much with that, right? But Jesus said, look, we need to pay the taxes, go fishing, you'll find the fish, the fish will have the coin in its mouth. What I'm telling you is this, is Jesus not only has unlimited resources, he knows how to direct you to those resources. I wouldn't have thought about a fish. Would you have thought about a fish? No, I wouldn't have thought about a fish, okay? And, and they just fished all night. And Jesus says, cast the, 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 the nets over here. Oh, we've done this all night. There's no fish here. There's just no fish here. Wow! I mean, all of a sudden, the net is full. And remember when Jesus... At the end, John chapter 21, when Peter decides, I go a-fishing. Huh? He had four or five disciples with him. They get out in the boat. They fished all night. How much did they catch then? Nothing. Nothing. Who shows up on the sidelines, on the shore? What does he ask them? <laughs> Children! Have you any meat? <laughs> they fished all night. This guy's over there on the shore asking us if we have any meat. No! Cast your net on the other side! Wise guy, cast your net on the other side. We've been sitting here fishing all night. He tells us to cast the net on the other side. John's going, hmm. Deja vu. We've heard this someplace before. Maybe like three years ago. Hmm. They cast their net under there, and the fish Fill the net. 153 of them. I mean, again, they're pulling them in. John looks over at Peter and he says, Peter, what, John? That's the Lord. That's the Lord? Yeah. Don't you remember three years ago when we were out there fishing and we heard somewhat the same thing? Yeah. Peter, you know Peter, impetuous Peter, man. He throws his coat off, jumps in the water and starts... Smart swimming to Jesus. What's sitting over there on the fire? Fish. fish. Who caught those fish? I don't know. 
but Jesus knew where to get the fish. You know, folks, he knows where the resources are. You don't know where the resources necessarily are. I mean, you know, you have a job, you work 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, whatever it is, and you got so much money coming in, you got that thing figured out, but then how many of you have found out that from time to time, you have more month at the end of the money? How many of you have ever found that out before? Just a few of you, okay? You found that out. Well, guess what? He knows where to find the other resources. God knows how to direct you to things. And this is something else we need to know about God. He has the power to direct you. Now, don't try to figure that out because we see miracles and we try to, we try to take them and we try to make them into processes, all right? Okay, so then any time that you come to the mouth, that, that, then you go fishing. No, 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 no. That was how it worked in that individual circumstance. That doesn't mean that every time that you get in a lurcher, you need to pay your taxes, you go fishing. That's not how it works. You follow the Lord's command and you follow the Lord's direction. And when you follow the Lord's direction, you find the Lord's provision. And God does it different every time so you can depend upon him personally for that particular provision. It's not us figuring it out and making it a process or, or taking it and making it, you know, mechanizing it. You know, it's following God in each individual circumstance and allowing God to provide for you in that own unique way that only God can do. I remember we next door and we were trying to fix the house up the first time. <laughs> and uh, I remember we knocked a hole in that house and I knew that the $5,400 that Eagle Heights gave us was not going to provide. And I remember we said, what did you do? We kept working until we ran out of money. And actually, we never really ran on the money, but we were getting close where it was like, uh, we got more stuff to buy. Where are we going to get the money? And I'll never forget my, one of my kids come running around the back side of the house. Dad, Dad, guess what? What? Somebody just gave us $10,000. What? Somebody just gave us $10,000. I says, who? I don't know. They wouldn't tell us that somebody gave us $10,000. Listen, folks. 10000 here, $3,500 here. I remember we did the elevator downstairs. We voted, 70% of the people voted to get the elevator downstairs. As soon as we voted, I had a check, a check come in from somebody I'd never met before. A lady back on the, lives three streets over and never met this lady before. She sent us a check toward the elevator. Wow, this is amazing. Sent her a letter, a thank you letter. She came by and gave, she, she stopped right out in the front of the road in front of our house, I mean, she stopped her car, didn't park it, she stops her car on the road, she runs out to the driveway, hi, I'm so-and-so. This was the lady I never met, but they were sending us, you know, significant checks. And she identified herself, and then she says, oh, here, I got another check for you. You know, only God can do stuff like that. He, only God can do stuff like that. He can point you to the resources. And so we have to trust the fact that God has unlimited resources. What's money to God? What's food to God? What's that stuff? It's nothing to God. Listen, he speaks in it and it appears, right? He takes the world, he speaks into existence. Do you think he's worried about it? Listen, obviously our government's not worried about where it comes from. <laughs> they think it grows on trees. I think we're going to run out of trees before we run out of money, you know. But, uh, uh, you, know, I just, you know, they don't care. But listen, but God is able to make it appear, and God's able to make it, give it to you as you need it. Our missionaries give us, you read missionary biographies, you'll see it, you'll see it over and over again. God has the resources. They're unlimited. He uses all kinds of people. And sometimes he uses the most unusual, unforeseen, People that you would never think to provide your resources. And that's the neat thing about it because that makes it all of God. So, I move on here. Disciples were experienced fishermen. They caught nothing all night. Jesus tells them to launch out into the deep, let down their nets. They caught so many fish, they were filled. Christ not only supplies all our needs, he directs us to where they can be found. All right, next. Power over Satan and demonic spirits. I'm trying to wind this down right now. And so, um, uh, Matthew chapter 12 in verses number 22, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. And again, folks, I'm just telling you, this is just like one incident in the many, okay? Verses number uh, 22 through 28. 
And then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. Okay, so not only was he possessed, he was blind and he was dumb. So he was really in a bad situation here. And he, meaning Jesus, healed him, and so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Okay, so this man, not only was he relieved of his demon possession, he was able to see, and he was also able to speak. And so this man was literally transformed, and at the same time, he was delivered from this demonic spirit. Spirit. And all the people were amazed, and they said, Is not this the son of David? In other words, this has got to be him. This has got to be the son of David, the one promised to us. And of course, they're looking at it as the son of David coming to be the king of Israel in order to deliver them from Roman oppression. That's the way they're looking at it, okay? That's how they're looking at it. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Oh, boy. Fellas. That's not how this works. The enemy doesn't cast out the enemy. And Jesus is going to explain this to them. And Jesus knew their thoughts. That's another powerful thing. How many times you can talk about the fact that Jesus knew somebody's thoughts before they were actually communicated to him. All right? And he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And Jesus is trying to show them, You know, fellas, what you just said doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> You're telling me that I cast out the devils by the devil? Um, that doesn't make sense. The devils are not on our side, and we're not on the devil's side, and you guys got this thing pretty much confused here. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. If that was the way it worked, the devil's kingdom wouldn't work out very well because they would be defeating themselves. He's got an organized thing going on there. It's the forces of evil, and that's not the way he works. He doesn't work by defeating his own enemy or his own army. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan... He is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Now you know there's an evil kingdom out there. How in the world is this going to work if he's casting out his own? Now, Jesus is just reasoning with him. Fellas, you're, you're not even making sense here. All right? There's a notable, there's an, undivide, there's an undeniable miracle right in front of them right here. Demons cast out. The guy who was blind now sees. He's dumb now speaks. And you're saying the devil did this. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. He's trying to tell them, this is what's actually taking place, fellas. That I, by the Spirit of God, have cast out this demon. And what you have just witnessed is the kingdom of God at work in your very eyesight, in your very presence. That's what you're seeing. This is the works of God. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good, except first bind the strong man, and when then he spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy against shall be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven of men. So basically what they were doing, they were attributing to the devil what God himself had done. And that's blasphemy. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost here is, is talking to these people saying, this is of God, and they're saying, no, it's not, it's of the devil. But here's the deal. Is that Jesus Christ has the power over the devil and Satan and all of his imps of hell. Now you need to know this about your God. Because you're going to face you're going to face some evil things. And I think we're seeing it more and more in our nation. It used to be we heard our missionaries come from over in Africa and some of these other lands telling us about the demonic forces there. And I want to tell you something. We're seeing more and more this stuff in our own land here. When you turn your back on the truth and you turn your back on the Bible and you turn your back on the Spirit of God, you're going to see more and more outward demonic behavior taking place. Now, it's been going on in our country, and people have been called at all the kind of things. The truth of the matter is, it's going to become more and more evident. You're seeing some real evil. When you listen to some of the things that people are saying out there in this day and time, you're saying, how can they come to these conclusions? I'm telling you what, the devil is at work in some of the things, the forces that are guarding, that are right now in control of our culture and our country. It's demonic. It's devilish. There's no two ways about it. They brought Jesus someone who was possessed of the devil. He cast out the devil. He healed the young man. How good it is to know that Jesus is more powerful than the forces of evil. Amen? Amen. 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 This is something you need to know about your God.
He's more powerful than the sources, the forces of evil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now the devil can come to us and he can tempt us. Can he not? Yes. He can bring temptations before us. And you can say, I couldn't help it. No, you yourself personally probably couldn't help it. But if you have the Spirit of God, there's something, someone within you that is more powerful than the temptation that is brought to your attention. And in the power of the Spirit, that's why you put on the whole armor of God, amen, that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the what? Of the devil. For we wrestle not against what? But against what? And what? And what? <laughs> Principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness. That's the devil and his demons and the evil forces there. That's why we put on the whole armor of God. Our feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our loins girt about with truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The sword of the spirit, which is the what? And the shield of what? And the helmet of what? And the breastplate of what? You see, you put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to stand, God's given you the equipment to withstand the wiles of the devil. He's given all of us that. But you yourself are not a, a, a match for the devil. And you yourself are not a match for the demons. They can tempt you. They know exactly how you They watch you. You say, I don't see them. They're there. It's an unseen world. It's a spirit world. But they know what you watch. They know what you watch on television. They know what you watch on the internet. They know where, they know where your weaknesses are. They know where they can tempt you. Folks, listen. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God can give you the power. Amen? He can give you the power to overcome. But if you think you can do it by yourself, you are sadly mistaken. Any of us think we can do it by ourselves. You're sadly mistaken. There's no temptation taking you, but such as was what? Amen. But God is what? Faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are what? Faithful. But will with the temptation provide for you a way to what? Faithful. That you may be able to what? Bear it. Bear it. That's what your God tells you. That's what our God tells us. And so folks, we have to be vigilant. We can't Go on vacation spiritually. You'll be a casualty if you allow yourself to loaf in this particular area. So there's an evil force out there, but hallelujah, God is greater than the evil forces. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Whenever you face the enemies of your soul, you have the power of Christ present within who? You. Amen. It's good to know. Last one here. Power to raise people from the dead. Again, here's another category of Jesus' power. Raise people from the dead. Wow, what a wonderful power that the Lord has here. Raising people from the dead. Okay, he raised the widow's son at, 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 at Nain. That's what this little picture is supposed to depict here. Here's the buyer going by. Here's this widow. Her husband's dead. Now her son has died. She is probably, this is where she's dependent upon for her provision. The oldest son taking care of his mother and such. And so here the, the procession's going out. They got the, the buyer right here. Jesus sees what's taking place. Probably sees the widow woman weeping because she looks at uh, probably a poverty situation that is facing her. Jesus, through his compassion, senses the next, exactly what's coming on. He touches the buyer and the son raises up in the buyer, the casket. Jesus resurrected that dead body. Amen. He has the power to raise the dead. Well, he raised Jairus' daughter back to life. They came back and said, she's dead. Jesus said, let's go anyway. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. She wasn't dead very long. I don't know how long this fellow was dead, but how about this guy? Lazarus. How long was Lazarus dead? When did Jesus find out? He found out before he was even, he was still sick. What did Jesus do? Did he run right out there? Why did he wait? Come on, no, that's not fair. That's what people would say, isn't it? That's kind of how Mary and Martha felt. Lord, if you were here, he wouldn't have died, right? Jesus had a lesson for him. 
I'm not just able to heal the sick. I'm able to raise the dead. I know, I know, Martha says, I know. In the resurrection, the final day, I know that you're going to do that, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Where is he at? Well, he's over there, but Lord, it's been four days. By now, he stinketh. Roll away the stone. Oh, Lord, this isn't going to be pretty. Uh, I, you know, uh, do you know what you're doing here? Can, can, you, can you picture this? Okay. Are you sure you want to do this, Lord? Roll away the stone. Lazarus! Come forth! Now, he had to say Lazarus, because if he didn't say Lazarus, there would have been a whole crew of people coming out of the graves back then, I can imagine. You know, all he has to do is say the word, buddy, and they're coming. But uh, sure enough, boy, here comes Lazarus. Can you imagine the crowd? I mean, they had a whole crowd of people there, because remember, Mary went out there, Martha went out there, and they're talking to Jesus, and when the people saw Mary leave, they thought that she was, you know, going out there to mourn, so they followed her because they wanted to be there to comfort her. So all these people are standing there, the Jews are standing there, the unbelieving Jews, and here's Mary and Martha, here's Jesus outside the town, right there by where he was uh, entombed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the response of those people? Folks, I, I, I just really want to see the video of these things because these are just absolutely amazing accounts of the power of Jesus Christ at work. Loose him and let him go. Hallelujah. And then, what's the capstone of all this? They crucified our Lord. And he says, if you crucify me, three days, three nights later, he says, I will raise my, I'll be raised up again. And he even told his disciples where to meet him after he, got, after he was resurrected. They killed him so bad, you couldn't doubt the fact, and it's amazing to me that some people actually think, and no, mostly even secular historians says there's no two ways about it, there's no doubt about it. It's one thing, and even secular historians are convinced is that Jesus did not swoon. He didn't just pretend to die. I mean, they crucified him. He was, I mean, doctors, people who have investigated the situation. There is no possible way that Jesus Christ could have revived in that tomb and then got out and resurrected. That's just the foolishness of unbelieving minds that make up things like that. Even the, 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 the Pharisees, when the, when the guards came back and told what had happened, the Pharisees paid these guys to fabricate a story about what happened. Tell them he came while you were asleep. <laughs> he rose while you were asleep. Well, that's a real smart story. How did you know he left while you were asleep? You were sleeping! <laughs> you know, the preposterous nature of the things that the world comes up with. And what's supposed to happen if somebody was on guard and the prisoner, the dead prisoner, got es escaped? What was supposed to happen to those guards? They would be killed. No, they weren't killed. They were paid to go out and fabricate a false story that was absolutely absurd. I mean, you had to be a nummy to want to believe something like that. But he raised from the dead. He's got the power to resurrect the dead. Now, folks, why should that encourage you? Because when you face that day when it's your turn to be with the Lord, you need to know that the power of God can resurrect your body and you will be forever with the Lord. Amen. You don't have to fear what it's going to be like on the other side of death. Death is a door. It's a door that we must go through so that we can enjoy the glories that God has for us eternity. You've got to go through that door. Now, there's another way to do it. And I really kind of prefer it. <laughs> that's a trumpet, amen? And that's when the trumpet blows and God just takes all the believers out of here 
and we're just resurrected without going through the death process, okay? He just takes us, whoop, just right on out of here. Now, I really prefer that, and I'm really hopeful that that could happen in our situation. But if not, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can look forward with full assurance and full confidence that we will be with the Lord and forever with the Lord. Amen? Amen. He can take these bodies, transform these bodies to a body just like his own glorious body. And so, he raised himself after being crucified. Jesus has the power to raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. All right, review. When you know what Christ has done, you know what Christ can do. All right, this morning, we talked about he has the power to transform we talked about he has the power over the elements of nature. We talked about the fact that he has the power to heal. Tonight, we talked about the fact that he has the power to multiply. We also talked about the fact that he has the power to direct to unseen resources. We talked about the fact that he has the power over Satan and the demonic spirits. And we also talked about the fact that he has the power to raise the dead even himself. The theme is this, knowing Christ and making him known. Believers, when you know that your God has this power, your Christ has this power, you can share him with others with this full assurance that he can do for them what he's planning to do for you. He can do for somebody else who needs Christ as well. We need to make Christ known. And sometimes we need to make him known even among believers because sometimes believers are downcast in their own thinking, their own limited, scarcity mentality and thinking that what they can't do because, you know, they're, they're just thinking about the, they, they themselves. We have to realize how powerful our God is and what our God wants to do in and through us to will and have the do of his good pleasure. And so when we're convinced, we'll take steps of faith that will reflect that convincement. But if we don't believe this, We'll be like the Pharisees, you see. We'll be even like the disciples, the unbelieving disciples. Lord, okay, all right, we'll cast a net on the other side with that big question mark on our face. We need to know that God can do some amazing things. When we had the faith, when he commands us, we had the faith to believe him. He can do some amazing things. You believe that? Let's all stand. <laughs> Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the greatness. We thank you for the miraculous nature, the things we see in the New Testament, these wonderful miracles. We, we, we broke them into seven categories. Who knows? They can be broken into perhaps more, maybe less, but nonetheless, we see your great power. And Lord God, help us, I pray, to trust in your power. People of old have trusted in your power. We see that recorded in the New Testament accounts. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you can do today what you did back then. Lord, some folks have gone and doctors have said, this is what you have. And they've gone back and doctors said, we don't know what happened, it's gone. And Lord, we know that you're still able to do those things. And so we do pray that you'd help us as your believers, Lord God, to take these truths planned to our lives so we can, by faith, not only walk with you, but see you do wonderful things in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.